welcome to cii podcasts uh, thank you for coming in and you know uh, today's conversation on india at 100 uh the amrit khan the next 25 years the golden era of india uh, he is going to be with uh, someone who the world has now started to recognize uh, as representative of india when it comes to music arts and culture dr ricky gage a three time grammy award winner a billboard number one artist in the us gq hero united nations goodwill ambassador a refugee so united nations refugees hero of its uh unicef celebrity supporter I mean, I can go on and on. You know, and Ricky has emerged as somebody who is who represents internationally the power and the voice of India, particularly through his music, through his collaborations with so many others. And you know, really, the Earth Day Network, you know, as a global ambassador, is something that he stands for. Uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing Ricky emerge and through this entire journey over the last quite decade. Last Ricky, I, you know, when we first. Uh, so you you know in uh, the us uh, as part of the diaspora truly a, a very proud member of power in the diaspora and really contributing to brand india in in many many ways uh, that we can only imagine and i think the the latest uh, real uh, credit to a lot of what he is doing is to inspire a next generation of uh, indians and others around the world uh, you know as as life and musical journey is now getting taught in the seventh standard of english textbooks in india so Ricky, welcome. Great to have you here, and really, you know, uh, so so proud of what you have achieved, and you know what you will continue to do, you know, from here on. And I think the idea is to see how, you know, this energy, this individual excellence that you know you have demonstrated, of course, through your collaborations, how do we make that infectious for India? You know, as India emerges, you know, over the next 25 years as a world leader, you know, as Vikas Bharat as a prime minister, like so called it, uh, develop India. where we take hundreds of millions you know out of poverty get them into empowered positions around the world you know and i think it's a it's a great uh, opportunity you know for us to, to to do that and you know to begin with maybe uh, what we can do is you know just really look at it. you see you know the next 25 years you know you you be an achiever you're a model uh what's your wish list what's your vision you know for the india of 2047 First of all, thank you for having me, and it's always great to chat with you. And uh, so, when it comes to India's vision, uh, you know, the thing is that uh, I do not know much about, uh, you know, about finances or economy or, you know, or GDP. These are all terms that are foreign to me. So I can speak more from like a holistic uh, point of view and more from a naive perspective, from my own perspective. But obviously, I would love to see India have a seat at, uh, you know, the table when it comes to the most powerful nations in the world. That is what my dream would be. and we already see that happening we saw that happening with the g20 and i also saw that first hand uh, you know with the united nations general assembly uh, just a week ago um, so india always used to uh, you know i've always seen in the past that india used to be a country that used to always sit in the sidelines and uh, you know and not participate in intergovernmental decisions and meetings and stuff like that and just go with the flow and uh, now i see that you know india is not only participating in these intergovernmental decisions but taking strong leadership and i saw this uh, at the un general assembly last week there was this beautiful event that was organized where uh, you know uh, we had uh, mr jayashankar at that particular event and there were uh, uh, there were leaders from you know various countries like bhutan from guyana from uh, from the maldives from mauritius from cameroon from uh, you know jamaica trinidad all of these different countries and it was amazing to see all of these leaders go up on stage 
and you know and and praise where india is right now and you know and the fact that india has reached a certain status uh, right now in on the international stage and india's taking all of these countries along with them you know and uh, ensuring that everybody has got a seat on the table especially when it comes to the global south and i was also at the uh, you know the french state dinner uh, which uh, uh, president macron had organized uh, for uh, in honor of uh, uh, prime minister modi ji when he had visited france and i was very fortunate to sit right next to them you know so i was sitting down that right next to me was president macron and right next to him was prime minister modi so the three of us sat together for about 2 hours at the dinner and it was amazing to see the amount of friendship that the two of them had in a genuine friendship you know uh, like you know talking about the food talking about uh, you know the dinner itself uh, uh, talking about uh, you know various uh, international topics and i was privy to those conversations because i was sitting down right next to them and you know and uh, the president macron two times during the dinner he held my hand and he was telling me that you know that uh, uh, he was telling me that uh, you know that i can't believe it that you know the last time we had a dinner in the louvre and we were in the louvre for that dinner was in 1957 when the queen had come down you know and uh, you know and up uh, and right now we are having a dinner at the louvre when your prime minister is here shaping with the world yoga day uh, you know uh, yes, i've never seen that many people at the united nations headquarters i was there at the world yoga day when prime minister modi was there and I uh, I've never as I told you never seen that much of a crowd over there and that much of enthusiasm for an event at the uh, at the United Nations and uh, the enthusiasm as soon as Prime Minister Modi walked in so what I'm trying to say is that for me uh, to answer your question I do not have like a, a like a strong vision when it comes to what India should be but I feel India is definitely going in the right direction and we should be seeing more and more of this and uh, the rising in an exponential way no I think you know you talk of this people to people connect right I think that's right from the leadership with prime minister modi to everyone else who is now being able to you know touch the lives of people around the world you know bring about the the importance of india as a country and you know what we is about in ricky we are the world's largest youth population and i think this is only going to expand and grow you know from here on and i think is that people to people connect you know that will really change and shape you know the world and you you've said it you know both Uh, as a musician as an environmentalist you know fully believe in this collaborative nature of touching people you know in different ways so maybe share some thoughts around when you also really uh, be great to you know to understand your journey right uh, you know from a young musician uh, to where you are you know you know i know a lot of this had to do with global understanding exposure dicks a little bit through your journey and and you know how do you see this strengthening Let's sure and just adding to what you just said uh, 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 about the previous question I would say that like you know with India the kind of population that we have and the kind of footprint that we have all over the world I think uh, we not just not only need a leader for India uh, but we also need a leader uh, you know we need a global leader you know for, uh, for for our country that's what we require and and that's what we are seeing right now and and I hope that gets exemplified more and more but uh, about my journey of course that's a very long story so I'll try to keep it as uh, short as possible so ever since i remember i've always been two things i've always been a musician and an environmentalist uh two pillars that have pretty much dictated my whole life and every single life decision that i've ever made uh so you know while my classmates and my brother and you know and my uh, you know my friends were more into you know the visual mediums like you know they used to watch a lot of television and cartoons and video games for me the center of my universe was always my music system uh, my father had this huge music collection that i would listen to um, all the time and Also he had a couple of musical instruments at home even though he was a doctor I mean he is a doctor and he was a doctor over there and uh, he 
uh, uh, you know, and uh, he had these musical instruments because he must have thought that at some point in time he'll probably learn them, but he never did. So I picked up these musical instruments. There was a piano, there was a guitar, there was a small keyboard, and I I, I was initially self-taught, but of course later on in life I took on a formal education in music. But it was through music that I found a deep connect with nature, and it's very difficult for me to explain how that happened. But for me, music and nature has always been one and the same. Um, of course, now I can sort of explain it because at the end of the day, how did music start? You know, music started off as sounds from nature, sounds of the birds, sounds of the animals, sounds of the trees, and then we humans started taking objects from within nature, like bamboo flutes, and you know, and boxes of seeds as percussion instruments, or animal skin as percussion instruments, or drums and things like that. And you know, so music and nature has always been one and the same. So I, uh, uh, I started off my musical career uh, as uh, doing commercials for television and radio. Uh, this I started off at the age of 18 or 19, uh, uh, you know, while I was in college. And then, uh, so that's when my professional career started. And I did music for a whole lot of uh, commercials for pretty much every brand everywhere in the world, whether it is Google or Microsoft or Airtel or Vodafone or Levi's or Lee, McDonald's, Burger King, you name the brand and their competitor, I was making music for them in every part of the world. Did more than 3,500 commercials in a span of uh, 13 years. So I was pretty much the most successful at doing that in the whole of Asia. Um, and then it sort of struck me after doing that for 13 years that these big brands understood the power of music. So much so that, you know, they're ready to spend a few thousand dollars on me to actually uh, create a piece of music for them to sell a product because they're always trying to sell something. And not only that, they're ready to spend a few million dollars to actually air that music on television and radio. So... Uh, they, and because it, it is all because they understood the power of music, uh, you know, for, for not only communicating a message, in their case, a message of sales, but also for retaining that message deep in the head of a listener. So that is what inspired me that I feel so strongly about, you know, about so many things, especially when it comes to the environment and climate action and species and conservation and sustainability and things like that. So that is when I decided that I need to harness the power of music and I need to uh, create music for uh, in my own small way to make this world a better place. So I started doing that. And then, of course, my 16th album won me my first Grammy Award. And then one life-changing incident that happened to me, of course, the Grammy Awards itself was a life-changing incident. Uh, my first Grammy Award, I won it when I was 33 years old. But then after that, uh, Prime Minister Modi had called me for a meeting. And I ended up going for this meeting and I thought it would be a five-minute photo op, but it ended up being an hour-long discussion where we were discussing about the environment. He knew about my role with the United Nations. He was talking to me about that. Then he told me that he was going to be visiting the Climate Change Conference later that year, the COP21. And uh, he showed me his speech and we discussed about it. And then we decided to make an album uh, which, featured, uh, uh, which featured musicians from all over the world. And he said that if you make this album, which is a truly inclusive album with musicians everywhere in the world, which speaks about climate action, I will launch it over there at the Climate Change uh, Conference. So that's what I did. And he encouraged me at that meeting that, uh, you know, you feel so strongly about the environment. You feel so strongly about social impact around those areas. So, you know, why not dedicate your life and your music just to this one purpose and stop everything else? So I left his office uh, with, uh, with the complete conviction that this is exactly what I'm going to do. Because when the leader of your country gives you advice, then, you know, you end up taking it very slightly. So I took it very seriously. And that's what happened. Since I left his office, every single piece of music that I've made right now and every single music that I make in the future is going to be about social impact and about the environment and that's my life right now. Now I think I think you know uh, what you mentioned is so 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 touching very similar you know similar conversation back in 2008 when we were envisioning what India could be in 2022 in its 75th year a two and a half hour conversation 
and you know, Ricky, that tip, CK Prilad, Mike Selm, and Prime Minister Modi, and the Chief Minister Gujarat spent two and a half hours imagining the future of India and what it may be 2022 and today, you know, strengthening that to what it can be 2047. I think it's it's so important to get alignment around multiple stakeholders to really see outcomes that are tangible, right? And I think, you know, your emphasis on environment and music and, you know, the symphony and the harmony of nature, which actually in some shape and form drives the world, you know, then you see the same harmony music is such a powerful, you know, uh, theme, so to say, for, you know, many others to understand and appreciate deeply. Because I think that the harmony and that symphony is there in every aspect of the universe, is there in nature, is there in each one of our lives. It's just, I think, up to each one to be able to discover that. And I think your message through this platform, you know, will not only enable people in India, but around the world, but within India's role, you know, and, and really, you know, making that happen. So, you know, it's it's interesting because when we say there will be a little bit of India everywhere in the world over the next 25 years, you know, like you say, infinite in science, right? Yeah. You see that, that, you know, that, that Indianness, that thing about you that's about Indians, that you see really populating, you know, in the world today over the next 20 years. So I would say that uh, it's, it's difficult to explain it in words, but uh, I would say that, uh, you know, that uh, what I'm trying to do is basically that, uh, you know, uh, trying to make Indian art forms and especially musical forms more and more popular. Uh, because uh, in India, of course, you've got the uh, the uh, the classical forms of music, that is, you've got the Hindustani classical and the Carnatic classical forms of music. But what predates that is basically the, the tribal musicians, you know, and the folk musicians. That sort of like, you know, predates even the classical music forms of mu- classical forms of music. So, uh, for me, I believe that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that a lot of these folk forms are, are traditions which have been passed down orally from, uh, you know, from generation to generation. Like, for example, the bowels of Bengal. I had actually created a documentary on them. We spent about four years making that documentary. And uh, the reason why I made that documentary was that I was very fascinated by the traditions of that particular uh, musical form. Uh, because uh, it's a thousand-year-old tradition, uh, you know, the, the bowels of Bengal, it's a thousand-year-old tradition. And the reason why it started was that these were people who were suffering from being of a lower caste. And they wanted to get outside of the caste confines. And the way that they thought they could do that was that if they had a direct connection to God rather than going through somebody, if they have a direct connection to God, and they decided that their way of a direct connection to God would be through, uh, you know, through their voice and through their singing and through their music. So they started this particular tradition where they led cashless lives, uh, nomadic lives, where they would travel from village to village. They would sing for their food, sing for a cup of tea, sing for a place to stay in the evening. And, uh, you know, and their pathway to God was through their voice. Now, the thing is that there are a few of these people who still uh, exist, who uh, do not use the bowl form of music as a, as a, uh, uh, as a genre, but they are very true to the, uh, to the overall tradition itself and they lead the life of being a nomadic bowl. So that's why it is very difficult for us to find them. And that's why it took us four years to make the documentary where we made this. Second thing is that I constantly collaborate with tribal musicians, especially tribal farmer musicians, because that fascinates me. Um, You know, because they have got songs that have been passed down. Some are set for even uh, 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 3000 years. And I, uh, especially in uh, northern Andhra Pradesh, uh, in uh, Odisha, in the northeast, I collaborate with these uh, farmer musicians, these tribal farmer musicians and I uh, sort of document their songs. Their songs are about coexistence. Their songs are about harvest. Their songs are about purity, about uh, all the all the good stuff in life, about health, about um, about how important nature is uh, for our own survival. 
So all of these beautiful songs I record with them, I collaborate with them, and I try to put them out. Try to get a lot of uh, um, you know uh, international attention to these songs. And of course, when you talked about harmony and you talked about uh, you know the way India is, you know, as a country, uh, I think you may have seen that version of the national anthem that I had done this year. Uh, it was basically with the uh, with the uh, with a hundred piece British orchestra that is the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And the reason why I did that, uh, the main reason why I did that thing where I conducted a hundred piece orchestra performing a national anthem, was that I wanted to record this with a symphony orchestra simply because if you look at a symphony orchestra, and I've recorded with multiple symphony orchestras all over the world, and every time I look at a symphony orchestra, I wonder, you know, that you have an instrument which is like a violin, which is a soft instrument. And then you have an instrument like a timpani, which is a loud percussion instrument. Then you have a harp, which is a soft instrument. You have a trombone, which is a loud instrument. You have a, you have all of these. You have a piano, then you have a bassoon, you have a euphonium, all of these various instruments. Now, all of these instruments are not trying to be each other. A violin is not trying to be a timpani. A timpani is not trying to be a harp. A harp is not trying to be a piano. All of them are maintaining their unique identities. They're maintaining their unique philosophies and, uh, you know, and, uh, and what they are and their sound. Uh, but yet, when all of them play together, they somehow work, you know, they play together in beautiful harmony and they sound amazing, you know. Uh, so none of them are trying to change their ideology, but yet all of them sound together amazing. And this is what reminds me of India. Every time I watch a symphony orchestra, it reminds me of what India is, that, that everybody can have their own ideology, everybody can have their own philosophy, but somehow the country works together. So that's the reason why I did it. But of course, there was subtext to the whole thing because it happened to be a British orchestra. So, you know, so it was like, you know, that, uh, that uh, you know, after 200 years of ruling us, the British are performing our national anthem, which is also justified as a narrative. But nevertheless, uh, that was my reasoning for actually doing this. And it was, a, it, it was beautiful to see, the, to see a symphony orchestra, a large symphony orchestra play, playing our Indian national anthem. No, yeah, you're right. You know, in exactly the 75th year of Indian independence, we have an Indian origin prime minister in England. So much happening. I think India's, you know, position in the world, Indians, you know, the way they are shaping themselves, uh, you know, to to get the respect, you know, from from global uh, society is 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 completely transforming itself. And I think it's only, as we said, going to you know grow from here on. You know, Ricky, you need many Rikis. Uh, to, to be able to keep this thing out, you know, what you were just talking about, this tribal music and, you know, the way, uh, the, the ethos, the understanding, so much richness, right, that we have, you know, within within India, uh, that can not only impact, you know, our uh, soft power in the world, actually transform life. Right? And I know, you know, you're a folk believer through your music and through, you know, your environmental activism, uh, so to say, you know, we really want to see a transform planet, transform people, transform, you know, kind of a world. So how really take this out, you know, uh, and scale it? What can we do as a country? What can we do, you know, as industry? Uh, is there a multi-stakeholder role? See that shape up. And, you know, you work with brands, you understand, you know, how they think. Is there something that industry, you know, art, music, government, all can do together to unlock the true potential of, of this opportunity. Yeah, true, because if you look at India, India has got, uh, the India is an ancient culture, the ancient traditions, and uh, a lot of these traditions and cultures and, you know, and even uh, the spiritual forms are represented through music. And I think music uh, can play an extremely important role when it comes to soft power. Because when it comes to music globally right now, the problem is that right now when it comes to music globally, 
uh, the Western forms of music, whether it's the classical musical forms or the pop musical forms, are considered to be mainstream. So that's like the neutral form. That is like the mainstream form. And anything uh, from India is considered to be niche or it's considered to be exotic or it's considered to be ethnic or it's considered to be like world music, you know, that kind of a thing. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, more people listen to the Indian forms of music than uh, than the Western forms of music simply because of the population and the diaspora that India has got. But nevertheless, Indian musical forms are not treated with the kind of respect or the mainstream respect that, you know, the Western forms are uh, treated. So I feel that this is a huge opportunity for us in India uh, to actually showcase uh, Indian musical traditions as being mainstream uh, to the world. And this requires a lot of effort because mainstreaming of something is not something that can happen automatically or through a critical mass. It needs to it needs to happen uh, very strongly with a lot of investment. It needs to happen with, uh, you know, with a lot of push and, you know, and uh, with a lot of even political will, if I may say so. And uh, because all of this music from India, if you think about it, it's got beautiful themes of kindness, of empathy, of coexistence. And as I mentioned, when it comes to the tribal forms of sustainability, of, of uh, you know, of uh, coexistence with nature, about... Uh, you know, the, the about even about cyclical economy, you know, it's a circular economy, like a lot of these ancient tribal songs actually speak about that. Also speaks about how, uh, you know, like, for example, there was this conference that I was at, uh, at, uh, at the United Nations a couple of years ago. And over there, uh, you know, they were speaking about, uh, they were speaking about, uh, you know, the, the Save the Tiger campaign. And they were talking about that, you know, a scientist over there was talking about the fact that, you know, a tiger is an apex predator. So, you know, the Save the Tiger campaign is not just about saving the numbers of the tiger, but if a tiger population increases, that means that the overall ecosystem is working well because it means that the tiger has got enough deer and, uh, you know, and the deer has got enough foliage and there's enough groundwater for everybody and there is less human intervention, there's less poaching, so the whole overall ecosystem is working. And then I had to butt in and I had to say that, you know, that 5,000 years ago, the Mahabharata had this particular uh, passage in it which says that, you know, that the tiger cannot exist without the forest and the forest cannot exist without the tiger. So, and uh, this this is actually available in the, in the form of song. So, the thing is that so this is what the world can learn from. So, I feel that uh, mainstream of music, it definitely needs a lot of effort. It needs a 360 degree approach uh, because it's got very immense potential in, uh, in, uh, in changing the narrative uh, when it comes to India. But it does require a lot of push. And, it, and of course, like, you know, it's not just music, it's also... Yoga, it's Ayurveda, basically preventative healthcare. Now people are looking at India, you know, because previously people used to look at all of this, uh, you know, Ayurveda and preventative healthcare from an Indian perspective to be more like mumbo jumbo and like, you know, and uh, uh, things that do not have scientific backing and all of that stuff. But now people are realizing that, you know, that rather than reactive preventative healthcare is the way to go and uh, holistic health is the way to go. And then even if you look at food, uh, uh, one last thing that I'll talk about food is that uh, from personal experience, uh, the first times, uh, the first few times that I started traveling to America frequently, uh, you know, uh, when I just got out of my teenage years, when I started uh, making music professionally over there, uh, the thing is that, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I noticed that when you go to a restaurant or even like a KFC or something like that, you know, it's it's a whole lot of meat, like a bucket, of, and uh, and just a sliver of bread and a little bit of vegetables on the side. You know, it's a steak, it's a large steak, and it's a little bit of vegetables, and that's not a sustainable diet at all. I'm not even talking about health over here. I'm talking about sustainable for the planet because meat is such a uh, polluting uh, industry. And uh, the thing is that it's not a sustainable diet, uh, you know, to have uh, this kind of a thing. And if you look at India, even the even the people who eat meat in India, uh, you know, they uh, they have like, you know, whatever chapatis and rice and all of that stuff. They have some vegetables and a little bit of chicken or a little bit of, you know, meat on the side. 
So basically the Indian dishes and even when you look at millets for example you know millet uh, is a super crop because it's good for the planet it's good for our bodies it's uh, it, it, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's a very nutritious food and it was part of our culture but then slowly of course through invasions it changed into rice and it changed into various things changed into other grains but millet is like a the millet is absolutely amazing so so why not mainstream our food you know uh, why is uh, why is continental food and american dino food uh you know called uh, called mainstream food and said to be the neutral food you know when it comes to burgers and uh, and steaks and you know and continental food from europe is considered to be uh, like you know regular food that everybody eat and everything else is a cuisine indian food is a cuisine so the yeah, i think indian indian cuisine indian food and indian cuisines are the most sustainable diets possible for the planet so why not mainstream that so i think all of this requires a lot of effort and i think industry can play a very important role in uh, in uh, in mainstreaming all of this Now, truly, I think this is the you know the twenty-five year opportunity to India of twenty forty-seven, right? Uh, how do we see you know whether it is food, whether it's our preventive health, you know? And you know, it's it's interesting you talk about this, Ricky. It's it's not only about the food; it's about you know an individual's relationship with food, right? I think the moment you shift to that, right? You're talking of an introspection. You're talking of you know way of life. You're talking of a transformative behavior. You know, I think, and it's probably India's biggest yeah. export to the world, right? You right, know? and it's our relationship with our food, and also our relationship with our fiber. Yeah. You know, so that's the way it is. Our relationship with our clothes, our relationship with I our think. food, because everything needs to be grown, and uh, there's land usage, and there is a uh, there is strong environmental impact when it comes to these uh, uh, these aspects. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and on sustainability, because you know, you're such a again, you're you you've got such clear views. You know, on 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 the environment, or sustainability, or climate change. You know, wait, what do you think are the all three areas? You know that you know the world needs to constantly focus on. I mean, today there is innovation happening around renewable energy. There's you know uh, focus happening around many of the things that we've discussed. I mean, if you were to prioritize, you know that the the must moves, right? Without which the world we cannot solve this problem. What all the things those are? So I would say that, of course, like you know, when it comes to all the environmental problems, uh, you know, uh, the overarching issue above everything else is climate change because that is the biggest, uh, uh, the most, uh, uh, the biggest existential threat that we've ever faced on our planet, and I believe that. Now the thing is that I cannot uh, speak in terms of like you know scientific data, nor can I speak in terms of uh, what is the best form of renewable energy or uh, you know or uh, the what is the way to go because. because for me i do not have the considerations in my mind when it comes to doing things to scale and stuff like that that is something that i would leave to the scientists to talk about but i but what i can speak about is uh, mainly from an indian perspective that when it comes to india itself uh, when it comes to like you know our path to sustainability i think it needs to be very inclusive that is the most important thing because when i started off as an environmentalist and an outspoken environmentalist as a teenager Uh, you, know, uh, you know for me it was everything was uh, do or die and everything was all or nothing everything was black and white that you know stop this stop that and let's not do this let's like put a dead stop to something but then later on as i grew older and uh, hopefully a little wiser and also when i traveled the length and breadth of india i uh, realized that uh, you know when i started especially spending a lot of time in rural india um, and i traveled a lot i realized that in india you can you can classify every problem into two large buckets you know a problem of survival and a problem of thriving 
you know so that's what it is at the end of the day and the environment and climate change is looked upon unfortunately as a problem of thriving rather than a problem of survival because the problems of survival are the more immediate things like you know like poverty and hunger education malnutrition gender inequality gender violence innovation uh, water sanitation all of this stuff is looked upon as problems of uh, survival so basically what i'm trying to say is that the narratives that the west puts out uh, you know when it comes to climate change do cannot work in india uh, we have to have our own solutions to our own problems like for example uh, the western narrative of uh, you know let's uh, let's consume less of everything that's what everybody say but if you go to a rural area where a person is living in complete poverty and you tell them like you know okay let's consume less of everything they're going to turn around and say i don't have anything to consume uh, in the first place and uh, same thing with you know the narrative of let's make a better world for our future generations uh, but what about people who do not have a good standard of living right now because most of the environmentalists in the west feel that you know everybody has got the, everybody in the world has got a facility of flicking on a light switch and us and and a and a light comes on and a light turns on you know and that's not the case uh, in the global south so the global south we in the global south need to have our own solutions uh, to our own problems and we need to understand that everybody needs everybody's got their dreams everybody's got their own aspirations and we cannot leave people behind uh, in this quest for uh, sustainable development we have to take everybody forward together and that is going to be really important and of course there are always uh, the, since i'm a communicator there are always uh, two ways to communicate things uh, you know what i widely call <laughs> as uh, you know the one way to communicate things is the greta thunberg approach which is basically shaming people into action which is also very effective at times and uh, the second approach is basically using uh uh using uh, i mean using love you know making everyone fall in love with the natural world and hopefully through that love uh you know getting people to uh getting all of us to uh, you know to conserve sustain and protect our planet you know and that what is what i call the david attenborough approach so so that's what so basically i've chosen the david attenborough approach but i but i do not want to discount the greta thunberg approach but i do believe that it's got a very short term appeal uh simply because it is not a lot of people get turned away rather than get drawn in uh when it comes to that kind of messaging but it does help at times you know when it comes to you know shaming governments into action or shaving uh, corporations into action and things like that but nevertheless for me the way is to do it is the david attenborough approach where you know that at the end of the day we as human beings will only protect things that we love we will only love things that we understand and we'll only understand things that we are taught you know so that is why i think education becomes extremely important and uh, and uh, you know and uh, and positive reinforcement becomes really important lastly what i wanted to talk about is the life mission of prime minister modi uh, because that i think is a quite a game changer in my opinion because the thing is that everybody talks about changing the world but we very rarely talk about changing ourselves and uh, that's not because we are evil people it's simply because the way our systems are built around us we do not believe that we are significant enough you know to bring about change but all that we need to do is make small tiny incremental changes within our own lives and that's all that matters you know because once we change ourselves then the world changes and that's what we need to do we need to bring about behavioral change and that's what the life mission talks about that you know that we need to follow uh, we need to do away with the use and throw economy that we are getting so used to and we need to uh, embrace more of a you know embrace more of a circular economy we need to reuse everything we need to buy things with a lot of deliberation with a lot of mindfulness with a lot of thought um, and uh, the whole paradigm of whatever i can buy waste and use is what i can financially afford should change to what the planet can afford you know so rather than just buying things indiscriminately because we can afford it and then waste it uh, we should always think about what the planet can afford rather than what we can financially afford so that uh, so i think the life mission is quite a game changer when it comes to 
bringing about a more environmentally conscious society. No, I think you know this individual transformation that you're saying in the role that each person can play. You know, we've been propagating something called the individual social responsibility. You know, while you know we say corporates, we talk of others. It's a ultimately a proposition of individuals who are going to go out of there and make the difference. And you know, and start with yourself. You know, also the aspects, Ricky, that you're talking of, love, etc. You know, these are human emotions at the core, right? Which is there in every human being. It's just that. You know, it's so cluttered with so many other things, you know, which have led to the necessities of life are being fulfilled. That one is not able to tap into that, you know, that source of uh, energy or that source of compassion and love, which is there 24-7 otherwise. And then I think, you know, opening that up, seeing how to use that approach, right, to build about a stronger and greater understanding of, you know, where the planet is, what will be our role in it, and how through our individual little changes we can you know, shape those outcomes. Nothing could be more, you know, awful compared, you know, to that. So, wow, shit, my story, individuals and the people do that. So, I would say that uh, everybody has to find their own path towards it. Uh, what I can, uh, what I can talk about is what I do within my own life. Uh, so, within my own life, uh, there are four things that I do, um, you know, when it comes to being more environmentally, uh, you know, conscious. Uh, uh, one is that I, uh, I at any given point, I don't subscribe to fast fashion. So at any given point of time, I only have 11 sets of clothes. Like, uh, for example, the shirt that you see me wearing, you'll see it on at least seven or eight uh, Instagram pictures, you know, like if you scroll down. Uh, because, and uh, this year in February, I had bought a new uh, cream Sherwani, which I had worn for the Grammy Awards ceremony when I won my third one. And uh, uh, since then, I've worn that same Sherwani for 40 concerts. So it also serves another purpose that uh, besides, you know, uh, being responsible uh, in terms of sustainability, uh, it also serves another purpose that if I do a concert where I don't get a good picture, then I can use one from a previous concert, you know. So <laughs> so that and then uh, the second thing that I do is that uh, uh, I have I eat a meat free diet. Uh, I'm an aspiring vegan, aspiring plant based diet, but uh, but I found that very difficult, that path to be very difficult. So. That's why uh, right now I uh, eat a meat-free diet. Um, and that is a path that everybody has to follow for themselves because there's a huge cultural and traditional significance to this. So it's something that should not be forced on anybody. It's uh, something that everybody should just have and make an informed decision on. And uh, the third thing is that I do not own a car. I use public transportation, even in my own city. Uh, so I did this because previously, uh, right up to 2013, I used to have three cars. And I was quite a car-crazy guy. And uh, the thing is that... Uh, I started realizing that when I travel abroad, uh, you know, I use public transportation. So why not learn how to do that in my own city? So I started doing that. So I use the metros, I use buses. And of course, when needed, I use uh, cab services in, uh, in Bangalore, but I don't own a vehicle. And uh, the last thing is that I get my carbon footprint audited every quarter. So everything from my ink usage to my paper usage, electricity, my air travel, my ground transportation, uh, electricity usage at concerts, everything is basically measured uh, by a firm. And then uh, what we do is that uh, we uh, uh, we tabulate that every quarter and then we have discussions as to how we can reduce our carbon footprint for the next quarter. And I mitigate uh, those uh, that carbon footprint uh, through tree plantations and through uh, investment in renewable energy companies and startups. So these are the things that I follow. So uh, And these are very simple things to follow, actually. No, I think this is very inspirational. I think to each person who, you know, becomes sensitive. I think that's itself is, is a very powerful thing. You know, we are trying to give an ISR score, you know, basis, the kind of water, the amount of water you consume, 
you know, the amount of energy that you interact with, what you rightly mentioned, your carbon footprint, and then the things that you do, right? I think the moment we are able to, you know, socialize that and, you know, be able to see how people move, you know, better up to their score, and not only isn't, you know, uh, something that the society can recognize, we can look at it, you know, to work with government to incentivize uh, people financially as well and to do more of that. You know, so I think there's a lot for us to do around just this one area of the individual, their choices and the transformation that they can bring about along with the right industry to support those choices. Right? So what you rightly said, we need to build businesses in the future that will, you know, have sustainability as a very core underlying you know, uh, for uh, what what they represented. Standard, you know, we work closely with GMCs, right, to our municipal platforms and products. And it's surprising that the amount of awareness that is getting built with that generation and up shop with the Gen Alphas, those who are, you know, 12, 13 years old today, you know, they will take that settlement, right? So over the next 25 years, we truly believe this transformation through the individual, you know, can become a, a, a big one. And you are such a Perfect representation, you know, you know, not only excellence at a global world class level in your in your passion, but aligning that with the social cause, which is probably not probably it is, you know, the world's most uh, important thing that we have to collectively address. Uh, couldn't be a, a better better combination. But you know, most people, Ricky, uh, still love you for your music and you know what you do, and you know, Intel's got young musicians everywhere. Right? I mean, you know, we see the competitions, right, from the bathroom singers to others. And many people are looking at a career, you know, in, in this space and really want to make a difference. So maybe, you know, our let's just run very fast and maybe, you know, this could be our last question. But if you were to give a message to the young aspiring musicians, uh, you know, who will uh, shape their own life and, you know, their community and the environment from your on, what do you know that message be to the aspiring musicians? So purely about music, I would say that, uh, uh, that you know, that uh, young musicians in India, uh, very often they feel that if, uh, if they need, uh, uh, you know, international recognition or international and global recognition is something that they crave for. Uh, you know, they, they feel that they need to perform music in English or they need to do English pop forms or English uh, or Western hip hop forms of music and things like that which I believe is not true at all because uh, the, the people who have actually gotten global recognition in India are people who actually, uh, you know, were um, creating music which was, uh, which was based on Indian traditionals, tra traditions. Like, for example, people like Pandit Ravi Shankar, Pandit Vishwamohan Bhatt, uh, Pandit Harir Prasad Chaurasya, Ustad Ali Akbar Khan, Ustad Zakir Hussain, Ustad Allah Khan, all of them. So, I believe that uh, if a musician craves for, best, uh, to, uh, for global recognition, then what they need to do is they need to actually dig deep into their own roots. And, uh, you know, and figure out what is it that makes them uniquely Indian and stay honest to yourself, uh, you know, as a person from India and, uh, you know, and create music based on that or at least create music which is based on topics that are that are Indian, you know, and that or topics that surround them rather than uh, singing or creating topics which do not affect them at all. So I would say that this would be really important. And if you're honest and true to yourself and true to your musical forms and your heritage, uh, then what happens is that you will get global recognition because people see that. People see that honesty. Now, when it comes to audiences in India, I would say that uh, because uh, along with musicians, we also need uh, music appreciators in India. And I would say that, you know, in India, we suffer from something known as the Ravi Shankar syndrome. Now, this is something that I have coined, okay? It's called the Ravi Shankar syndrome and I'll tell you what that is. 
now everybody knows who pandit ravi shankar was you know the great uh, you ask somebody who is pandit ravi shankar everybody knows that okay the greatest sitarist who ever lived and one of the greatest musicians india ever had which uh, major civilian honor did he win everybody knows the bharat ratna he won that the, the highest civilian honor possible uh, who were his daughters most people will say anushka shankar some people will say nora jones so everybody knows that you ask somebody you ask anybody even in your office you ask anybody name one album of pandit ravi shankar you know and he's released over 60 albums so name one album of pandit ravi shankar nobody can name an album or name a song of his no or hum a tune of his no but at the same time when you go to a place like san francisco i i can challenge you this more people or even the rest of america or european countries like germany or in paris and places or france and stuff like that if you go there i can challenge you this that more people will be able to name uh, albums and songs or uh, will know more about pandit ravi shankar than people in india and uh, that is because we ourselves in the past we've not been connected with our own roots you know we've not been connected with with what makes us uniquely indian we've not been connected with our traditional forms and we have always been told that it's very uncool you know to uh, for for uh, younger people to actually pick up a sitar or pick up a santoor or pick up a bansuri or something like that or to, to play indian traditional music but now that is changing i'm seeing that that is changing exponentially right now where uh, a lot of my friends who have got children they're picking up indian instruments they are learning carnatic violin they're learning the veena they're learning the sitar they're learning all of these instruments because now it's suddenly becoming a lot more cooler and that is because in my opinion it's it's a top down approach you know and that's because india is becoming so visible everywhere you know prime minister modi is becoming visible everywhere in the world you know and uh, india as a country is getting so much of respect and visibility everywhere that uh, you know that that the door is opening for all of us and all of us are sort of like you know showcasing our pride of being indian and i think that needs to carry on uh, the carry on more and more and we will see a younger generation of people who are younger generation of artists and musicians who are proud of our own traditions and uh, try to spread these traditions all over the world because believe me the world needs our traditions and yeah, i know i think very very powerful words there uh, you ruchi and i think you know talking of pandit ravi shankar the ananta ananta aspin center which is yeah. the language is now based out of the pandit ravi shankar center <laughs> yes Debbie, you know yeah. i have just taken over as chairman of you know, the center from jobshed godrej what we are saying how to you know bring young people bring the world come there and in that ambiance really discuss you know global issues right and i think you you did that so beautifully the culmination of musing plus global issues plus the individuality of people right will probably create that symphony that you mentioned yes. you know which is which is everyone need to strength you know and and really ensuring that they are true and honest uh, to to be able to deliver their best potential and i'm sure when all of this falls together you know we will and uh, you know the wicks of baller of 2047 and the 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 dream anyhow you know that i think other us really want to see uh, shape the world you know as we go over these next 25 years and you know it's just been such a really conversation uh, ricky with you and we can go on you know we think you want on some of these things you know and really you know look at your support uh, i hope you do <laughs> to, to to build it you know i'm bringing multiple stakeholders you know from the field of art industry government uh you know academia and everyone together uh, to really be able to you know shape this phenomenal outcome that we've been talking about you know for the past party and so again thank you so much for for taking the time for you know sharing some of these aspects of your vision and your learnings and 
I look forward to uh, shaping uh, the future of India together. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful Thank speaking you. with you. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.